0: Please uh, turn to the book of Acts. We launched a new sermon series last Sunday with uh, three aims in view. We're, we're giving attention to the book of Acts in order that um, we might, first of all, gain more traction for living together on mission. Uh, it, it's hard to get much leverage for anything but including making and multiplying disciples when it, when it seems like you're standing on the head of a pin uh, or in mud up to your knees. So we're, we're asking God to communicate his grace to us through his word and that, and that he would set our feet kind of use the word, the vocabulary of the psalmist, set our feet in a broad place. I, th- I think that means just you know you got some <clears throat> leverage and um, to the end that we might get some leverage and more traction for living together on mission. That's, that's one aim. The second aim um, is that we're asking God uh, with the help of the book of Acts for a, a joy full, joy-filled certainty and faith in the midst of suffering and affliction. Um, as in the case of Job um, and really anyone and everyone who professes to know and love God, the Satan brings this charge against us before the Lord all the time. These People of yours are just mercenaries. They don't really, really love you. The only reason that they look like they love you is because you've given them health and you've given them wealth and you've made their lives to some degree prosperous. All they're concerned about is your blessings. You, you take that all away. Let, let's just prove it. Let's take it all away and they will resent you and curse you to your face. But you see, God is most glorified in our lives, in the lives of His people, when the pleasure that they experience in beholding the glory of God in the person, and the work of Jesus, is greater and deeper and more satisfying than the pleasure that they find, even in their health, or their wealth, or their prospering. And in the book of Acts, God reveals. He reveals the winsomeness of a people who are uh, indomitable. They're just unstoppable because of their reliance upon and satisfaction in Jesus. You hurt them, you slander them, you steal from them, you kill from them, and their joy in Jesus just, boom, it just keeps on spreading. That's a second aim. There's a third aim and that is we're asking God to, to really intensify and increase the, um, the reality of our what we call our continuationist pneumatology. <laughs> um, so a more fitting title for this sequel to Luke's gospel would be The Acts of the Risen Jesus Through His People by the Holy Spirit For the fulfillment and accomplishment of the purpose of God. That that would be the better title of the book of Acts. And and that's what we're really asking of God. to, To give us more traction, to give us more joy, and to give us more power. I think that's putting it most simply. So please join us in praying for these three things. And please join me now as we turn our hearts and minds to God's word in and from Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. Follow along. So when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When He would said these things, As they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're asking you um, that through your word, through the grace that comes uniquely, distinctly, profoundly tangibly through your voice your presence your activity communicated through Scripture we're asking that you give us more traction in our life together for the sake of mission in this city we'd ask you for more joy and peace no matter what our circumstances. And we're asking that you would pour out more of the fulfillment of the promises that we just heard. Power. Witness. When the Holy Spirit would come upon us. Keep that promise today. We ask this for your name's sake. Amen. So the outline for this message boils down to three observations drawn uh, from, in particular, Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Acts 1, 7 and 8. And, and these are the three observations. I'll give them to you right now and then we'll look at them one at a time. The, the, first, the Father's purpose. Secondly, the Father's plan. And thirdly, the Father's provision. The Father's purpose, Father's plan, and the Father's provision. First of all, God the Father has a purpose. God the Father has one overarching aim. And this is the way I would say it. I'm going to put it up here because I think this will be helpful to you. The Father's purpose is to fill the earth with passionate praise of His glorious greatness. Revealed in and through the person and saving work of God the Son. That's a mouthful. But it's important, so I'm going to say it again. The Father's purpose, God the Father's purpose, is to fill the earth with passionate praise. Passionate praise. Of His glorious greatness, as it is revealed in and through the person and the saving work of God the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's where I get that. In verse 7, God the Father is the one who has fixed times and seasons by and according to His own authority." Here's what it says, "...it's not for you to know times or seasons. The Father has fixed by His own authority." In other words, God the Father is ultimately in control of all that happens in the world. God the Father is the author, the director of this great drama we call history. He's the Lord. Over time, he's the Lord over the seasons of life. According to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, God the Father designs and works all things out according to the purpose of his will. In Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10, he says, I am God, and there's no other. I am God, and there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. And God the Father's purpose is to put on display this this glory of, of his greatness in the person and the saving work of God the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And I get that from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus says, You will be My witnesses. Or more literally, you will be witnesses of Me. The purpose of a witness is to testify, right? It's to validate. It's to vindicate. And, and since the object of the witnesses is Jesus... The purpose of God the Father is to show how glorious and great He is in the person and saving work, death, resurrection of God the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, this purpose of God the Father is not fully accomplished until it has been made known, till this passionate praise has Spread and has had its effect in all the earth. And I get that from Acts 1 8, where Jesus says, You will be my witnesses, witnesses of me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Luke records Jesus' words with a little bit more detail and nuance in his gospel version, Luke chapter 24, verses 46 to 48. He said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So, God has a purpose. And when was the last time you felt your heart burn? When was the last time you felt your affections stirred by the truth that God the Father, who directs all history according to the purpose of His will, has a purpose, and that that Purpose is to communicate himself, to reveal himself, to assert himself in such a way that you and I would have something to really talk about. His passion is to pursue us with mercy and goodness all the days of our lives. His zeal is to put his soul-satisfying presence and his sin-destroying power on display for our eternal well being and he does it in and through his glorious son Jesus Christ. This is the purpose of God the Father. He wants to be known. He means to be enjoyed. And this purpose shall not fail. Habakkuk 2:14 says, "For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea." Numbers 14, 21, As I live, says God, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. So God the Father has a purpose. Second, God the Father has a plan for accomplishing His purpose. And I I put this in a sentence so that you could see this a little bit more clearly. And here's, here's how I would say it. God the Father's plan is people who can honestly and personally testify to God's greatness and His goodness shown to them through the person and saving work of God the Son, Jesus Christ. That's His plan. Let's say it again. God the Father's plan is people. People who can honestly, can personally testify to God's greatness and goodness shown to them through the person and saving work of God the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now get that again from Acts chapter 1, verse 8 when Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. So in, in most cases, you know, Witnesses, that is, people who can provide some credible personal experiential testimony, are, are they're pretty they're profoundly effective in communicating the reality of of another individual. So here's this last week I was having a conversation with somebody uh, who shared with me this bemoaning. Uh, Sorrow about the Minnesota Twins' horrendous start to the new baseball season, and um, and as we were talking, we were talking, you know, we were swapping stories about our favorite Minnesota Twins, and um, we were talking about this former twin slugger Harmon Killebrew. We both remembered how 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 we felt, how we felt actually back in the day listening to. Twins games on eight three zero WCCO, and, and when the killer came to bat, and there was all this anticipation, this feel, this expectation and hope, and and we'd both experienced being at the old original Metropolitan Stadium, which is where the Mall of America is now, and we had witnessed firsthand Harmon's classic home run swing. But see, my most personal experience was a chance, I mean totally out of the blue, chance encounter at the Target store in Apple Valley, Minnesota about 15 years ago. I had gone in one day on a mission. I don't remember what the mission was and I was shocked and surprised to discover that Harmon Killebrew was in fact in the flesh going to be there in 20 minutes to sign autographs for free. And I sprinted to the sporting goods section, and I bought a baseball. Actually, I bought three baseballs. And, um, and I was first in line to get a free Harmon Killebrew autograph on each of those balls. And I remember, I remember him <laughs> asking my name. And I remember a couple of brief personal questions about my family and my background. And he signs my baseball, which I have on my bookshelf in my office. And I thanked him. I thank you for the memories. And and he shook my hand and he said, well, Greg. Harmon Killebrew said, my name. Well, Greg, Greg, that's kind of you. Take good care of your family. I remember that. Harmon Killebrew, he died five years ago. But I am still a witness to the reality of a gracious and dynamic and respected professional athlete who made, he made a difference. So you see, being a witness to that just now, totally painless. Totally painless. There, there was nothing hard about that. It was completely natural. We do this all the time. And I believe that is, at least in part, why God chose to use witnesses as His plan for accomplishing His purpose. Now, it's important to remember that God the Father is Lord over time and seasons and therefore you know he doesn't fly by the seat of his pants he's not making things up as he's going along he never wings it further on account of his sovereign authority he has no he has no need for contingencies you know it's not like well pff, rats that didn't work out so good didn't see that coming we'll just now we got to go with this new plan no no that's that is not the way it works and he could have said Earth, be filled with the knowledge of my glory and greatness and my holiness and my power. Be filled. Be filled as high-def display of my beauty. He could have said that. He could have done that. But he didn't do that because the greatest of God's... Greatnesses, the pinnacle of his perfections is his mercy, and so, so God the Father planned before the foundation of the world a saving strategy that would, in the greatest possible way, amplify the riches of his grace and his the kindness of his mercy displayed toward us in the person, the person, and the saving, life and death of Jesus Christ, and so, God's people. God's people redeemed by God's grace. The grace of God's Son filled with God's Spirit. God's people are God's plan for filling the earth with the knowledge of the greatness of His grace. Can, can, can you conceive of this? Ah, God. God, the, the one who has authority over time and history and epochs and Seasons has made His people His plan to accomplish His purpose. It should rock your world to just realize, I'm God's plan. I'm God's plan. Me, who can barely remember somebody's name or where I left my keys. I am God's plan. Me, with my innumerable Deficiencies am God's plan. Me with my countless sins am God's plan. And then there's all you (laughs) with your sins and deficiencies. We together are God's plan. God the Father's plan. He has no other plan for accomplishing His purpose of filling the earth with the knowledge of His greatness and the person and saving work of His Son, Jesus Christ. What was he thinking? I mean, certainly between the, the, you know, the depravity of our souls and our utter impotence and inability to do anything about our depravity, much less even care about our depravity, as well as all of our odd idiosyncrasies and personality flaws and past hurts and not to mention the most fundamental External obstacles like like uh, social, cultural, generational, ethnic, uh, language, political, geographical—you geograph- just that's just a few, right? I mean, how can this plan possibly work? Answer: God, God, the Father not only as a purpose and a plan, but He has made provision for our countless inadequacies and our absolute inability to resolve them. And in doing so, He has made the greatness of His glory stand forth that much more dramatically because the provision He has made for our inability is the power of the trustworthiness of His own promise. So, thirdly, God the Father's provision. Look again at Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, and in all Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. So how, how are we to understand the you wills of Acts one Are are they, are they really more like commands, you know, like of a stern, micromanaging, controlling puppet master? You, you will, you will do whatever I command you to do. You will go wherever I make you go because you have no mind of your own or will of your own. Ah, 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 ah. You will, you will. Or are they or are they commands we shouldn't even just like not even worry about, bother because, you know, when God wants something done, you know, he's just going to do it. He's going to zap us with some jolt of sovereign ecstasy <laughs> like uh kind of like super mario you know you're tooling along and then and then you know the, the mushroom thing happens and, and uh, it, it, i don't think that's how we're supposed to understand it either here's how i understand it the the provision of god for the fulfillment of the purpose of god is the promise of God for the needs of the people of God as they engage themselves in the plan of God. The provision of God for the fulfillment of the purpose of God, is the promise of God for the needs of the people of God as they engage themselves in the plan of God. So God has given us Promises as his provision to overcome every obstacle to the fulfillment of his purpose. So I'm going to give you an example. Uh, <clears throat> I, I told you a story last week about our, our life in Hawaii. and um, so, so here's another one. Laurie and I, we were, we were living in Hawaii and we, we needed to do some laundry. Um... We didn't have a dryer. It's not typical in a Hawaiian home to have a, a dryer because on the typical sunny Hawaiian day, you, know, you put your stuff on a clothesline, it takes about five minutes and pff, it's cooked. It's dry. And, uh, but on this particular day, it's raining like crazy and it's been raining like crazy for several days, weeks. And um, I need some clean stuff to put on, so I go to the laundromat. Everybody know what a laundromat is? I mean, do they even have those anymore? Um, I went to the laundromat because that's where they have dryers. And and uh, so, so, following the experience that I, I recounted last week, you know, of of this, it was this rather dramatic demonstration of the inbreaking of God's kingdom, you know, by healing a, a woman's broken ankle. Um, I, I'm praying, uh, as I'm in the laundromat, uh, God, h- how do you want to put your rule and your reign on display right here, right now, in this laundromat? And um, I, I, wasn't, I didn't used to pray like that <laughs> until after I saw the broken ankle heel, so God, what do you want to do? How, how, how do you want to show your dominion, your rule, and your reign right here, right now, in this place? And I hadn't even said amen in my little quiet brain prayer. When in walks this, um, it's a local woman, and I, when I say local, that's what we mean by she was of Asian descent, and I'd never seen her before in my life. But um, as she walks past me to the machines, like completely out of the blue, the thought Passes through my nugget. Um, she is desperately anxious and needs to talk with someone about her very troubled marriage. And um, what do you do with that? Uh, it, you know, the problems are obvious and numerous. Like, we're strangers. Um, I'm a guy and she's not. I'm a haole. That's That's what they call white people in Hawaii. And she's not. Um, I'm an introvert. I mean, we walk past each other. And, and, you know, I didn't even say anything. And, and, um, and, and so I'm asking myself, how on earth, like, do I even start a conversation, much less get down to the vulnerable topics of her personal life? And so I'm praying, God, you know, if, if, this, if this, like, thought is somehow from you, um, this thought about her marriage is something about that you put in my head, then, then you're going to have to do something about that. And, and again, I had not even said amen in my little brain prayer before the door of the laundromat opens and in walks one of our female non howley church members and and she barely said hi to me. when she looks past me and sees this woman, and they both say one another's names simultaneously, and they start squealing, you know, delight at at their encountering each other. Like I haven't seen you since high school. And 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 so while they're having this little happy reunion, my dryer is now done already, and and uh, I'm loading up my basket to go home. And uh, as I leave, and you know, they're having their little thing there, I, I, I pass our church friend and I, I whisper in her ear I said God brought you here for right now she needs you and, uh, and our friend she, she sends me out the door with her like a look on her face and uh, about an hour later um, our friend, Susan is her name Susan comes knocking on our door to tell us how she just spent the last hour listening and crying with an old high school friend about her deeply troubled marriage and how desperate she was and how she had just been, she just, she just needed to talk to somebody, find somebody with whom she could confide. And the Holy Spirit had opened a door for Susan to care and invite her friend into the kingdom of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So, so, so just think for a second about, all the obstacles the Lord had to overcome. I mean, he would already sort of jolted me out of my passive disinterest, complacency, ambivalence, whatever you want to call it about e- even being a witness. So, you know, that happened through the ankle healing. So, so I'm on the lookout now. My radar is on. And um, he, he kind of took my temperament obstacle, just flicked that aside, and and uh, he, he, you know, he, he took the social convention, ethnic obstacle, you know, he just kind of flicked that over there, and, and then this whole vol, uh, relational vulnerability thing. I mean, just think for a second, how long does it typically take for you to trust someone enough to tell them about your shame? You just flick that aside like it was nothing. I mean, the practical power of the promise, you will be my witness. It's astonishing. So how about obstacles that relate to things like the extent of God's purpose, like the end of the earth? <laughs> what about the nations and the unreached peoples where you got... You know, language barriers or, or on account of geopolitical boundaries, it's not even legal to be a witness for Jesus. I, that's an obstacle for you, right? How's God going to deal with that? Let me give you an example. I, I, um, I opened a book the other day on missions. And um, on, the, on the very, on page one, It said one of the most unreached people groups in the world today, one of the most unreached people groups in the world today are the ethnic Nepali people, that is people from Nepal, who by virtue of, it's By virtue of this mass migration that took place almost a century ago, 100 years ago, there's this massive number of ethnic Nepali people now living in the neighboring country of Bhutan. So you got Nepal and Bhutan, you know, they border each other and they're bordering northern India, Himalayan mountains, Mount Everest, top of the world, blah, blah, blah. And, 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 uh, you know, the people are mainly Hindu by religion. And, and so, as the population over the last hundred years of these Nepali immigrants in Bhutan grew, and they, you know, they apparently they kind of grew like rabbits, just dramatically, they, they became this unwelcome socio-economic problem for the Bhutanese government. And as they became a problem, they became marginalized, and the and the Bhutanese government forced them into refugee-like camps. And now. Over the past, just recent years, the, the United States government has been working with the Bhutanese government to resettle these Nepali Hindus in our country. And one of the largest resettlement points in the United States for one of the most so-called unreached people groups on the planet happens to be, guess where? Sioux Falls, South Dakota! Bhutan is closed to traditional missionaries. The Nepali Bhutanese Hindus are are cut off from the good news of the kingdom of God. Not. Not. They're not cut off. Lutheran Social Services has a mentoring program right here in town so that people... Luke and Jen Thompson, for instance, a couple from our church, they have become a mentor family, mentor friend. They befriend people and specifically a Nepali Bhutanese family. They help them. They care for them. They make this mind-boggling transition to a new life in the United States. You can volunteer for about six hours a month with no passport, no visa, no shots, no language acquisition. You don't have to go through some massive formal assessment and application and acceptance and financial support raising process by some uh, missionary sending agency. All you got to do is drive downtown, fill out a one-page application, spend about 30 minutes in an orientation, give them my name as a reference, and uh, you will be connected with a family from one of the most unreached people groups in the world. The nations are like dust in the palm of God's hand. King Jesus says, you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. There, done. So you see, God uses many means in order to keep his promise that his people will be witnesses to fulfill his purpose and he stirs up some people to go and he stirs up other people to come and then he stirs up circumstances so that some are sent and then he stirs up other circumstances so some people are brought we see it happen every day But I believe the main way, the most fundamental way that God fulfills the promise, you will be my witnesses, is by fulfilling the other promise. The one that says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What is that? What is the substance of this power? What actually happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon you? We get a little glimpse of it in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, when Paul says, When you heard the word of truth and believed in him, believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who, this is the important phrase, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. The Holy Spirit, the experience of the Holy Spirit is, is the experience of, of having a guarantee of our inheritance. Guarantee that we're going to actually have it until we actually have it acquire possession of it in other words the Holy Spirit gives us a foretaste of our inheritance and our inheritance is heaven so the Holy Spirit gives us foretaste of heaven before we get to heaven and That foretaste is sweet It's sweet because heaven is sweet the Holy Spirit gives us, provides us with a taste, a little appetizer, tapa, poo-poo, small plate, whatever you want to call it, of the infinite and eternal sweetness of the pleasure that we feel, we will feel in God Himself for all eternity. It's pleasure. Romans 5.6 Paul says God's love God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Some, some people conclude that the, the, the love that God pours into our hearts is, is uh, love for us. I'm, I do not believe that's so it, in light of its context. The love that is being poured into our hearts is God's love for God. <laughs> When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we then feel, we then experience the affection, the the kind of pleasure that God feels in that which He loves. And what is the object of God's pleasure, the supreme focal point of God's love? God is. What makes God feel the most pleasure in his heart is his own beauty, his own infinite beauty. God's own infinite beauty is the supreme object of God's supreme pleasure. And he feels infinite pleasure when he looks upon it from eternity past to eternity future, God the Father looks upon the beauty of God the Son. And what does He see? He sees the infinite wisdom and the infinite mercy and the infinite power and the infinite coming together of justice and mercy. He sees it all. He sees it all the the glory and the infinite beauty and mercy and power of His own saving plan and purpose fulfilled in the life and the death and the resurrection of God the Son and the glory of it, the wisdom of it, the justice of it, the mercy displayed in it just stirs God and fills His heart, fills the heart of the Godhead, God, Father, Son, God, the Holy Spirit with infinite and eternal pleasure. That's what God feels. That's what the Holy Spirit pours into our hearts. In Isaiah 42 verse 1, God says, Behold, look at My servant whom I uphold, My chosen in Whom my soul, the soul of God, delights and feels pleasure. I've put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nations. Loved ones, that is the power that God promises. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, it is the power of pleasure. There is no power like pleasure. It is the power of the pleasure of God that we experience when we experience the very pleasure God feels when God the Father looks upon God the Son. Jesus prayed it like this in John 17, 26. He asked God to make this so for us. He said, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known. Why? To what end? So that the love with which you have loved me may be in them
1: and I in
0: them. Jesus is praying. He's asking God the Father that the love with which God the Father Father loves Jesus will be in us. He's asking that the pleasure that God feels in Jesus will be in us. And that love, that pleasure is the power that makes us witnesses. Pleasure always makes us a witness. Pleasure, pleasure is more powerful than your temperament. Pleasure is more powerful than your your, it moves us to do hard things, it's more powerful than your personality, pleasure is what moves you to do things even when you're tired, pleasure is what moves you to drive you know, 250 miles in the middle of the night because you had to to hear that band and you don't care if you got to go to work at five the next morning, you're still going to do it because of pleasure. Pleasure gives shy and introverted people words because somehow you always find a way to express what gives you pleasure. No matter if it's some killer bargain or some awesome restaurant or some phenomenal movie. How many many of you have ever been to a 12 a.m. opening for the the new movie that came out? It's pleasure that left put you there and kept you in that chair awake until 2 or 3 in the morning if it's an amazing song or some sick new band or some jaw-dropping performance or some drop-dead gorgeous human being, if it tasted great, sounded great, smelled great, looked great, was wonderful and made you feel great and you experienced the power of pleasure in it, then whatever it was that generated that pleasure, it's what you're going to talk about. So now, imagine... The power of feeling infinite pleasure. Divine pleasure. The pleasure that God feels. The very pleasure that God the Father feels when He gazes upon the infinite perfections of God the Son. This is my dearly loved Son in whom I am well and fully and eternally and infinitely pleased. Imagine feeling infinite and eternal pleasure. You know, we can't, but, but that's what it is. It's that pleasure, it's that pleasure that transforms our witness. It's that pleasure that transforms our worship, and our expression of it. It's that pleasure that changes your devotions, gets you up real early. It's that pleasure that changes conversations and our experience of spiritual community. It's that pleasure that is the power that God promises to give us when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And so now here's the thing. There's not a person here living in that. There's not one of us who lives anywhere near the fullness of that. In fact, mainly we, we, we live as though what happened at Pentecost is still like hasn't happened yet. <laughs> wait for that day because when it comes you will be baptized with the holy spirit that that that's not it's not dripping it's not trickling it's 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 being drenched it's being drenched it's being drenched with an outpouring of the experience of pleasure in the glory of God who's ever known anything more than just a, a drip or drop or trickle or two of that but you see loved ones the fulfillment of this promise is what god is it's what god has promised the fulfillment of this promise that is the traction we need for living together on mission. The fulfillment of that promise is the the joy-filled fullness of faith in the midst of affliction that we need. That promise, the fulfillment of that promise, is the power for witness that we seek. And I believe that God would have us to seek Him for it now, together. And what better way to seek it than to do what God does? What God the Father does to fix our mind's attention and our heart's affection on that which gives God the Father fullness of joy. Namely, the beautiful gospel life and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what better way to fix our mind's attention and our heart's affection on what fills God the Father with pleasure than to sing it. Music helps us. And as we sing it, I want to encourage you to be seeking unashamedly, (laughs) unreservedly, pleasure in the glory of God in the face of Jesus and what He has done in the gospel. And ask God to, to keep His word. God, would you be faithful to keep your word, what you have promised. It's a promise. It's your promise. You said you would fill us with Power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and you'd make us witnesses. Fill us with the same pleasure that fills you with pleasure. Keep that promise. And may the Holy Spirit come upon us with fresh pleasure and power so that we might be Jesus' witnesses here, right here in this room. And as we scatter from this room into the nooks and crannies of this city and wherever else the Lord might lead. Let's pray. think we can be confident Heavenly Father that that the the traction, the leverage we seek to live together live together spiritual community on mission the joy and peace that we seek to sustain us in all of life's difficulties and challenges and hard things, obstacles, that the, that the reality of uh, spiritual life and power that we long, that, that, that would just be so fitting, so fitting of people who are full, filled, overflowing with pleasure in all that you are for us in Jesus. It's just all right there in the fulfillment of this promise. And so, my prayer is what one has so famously prayed if there was just one thing, just one thing I could ask for, if there was just one thing that I could have from you, O God, then this is what I would seek after. That I could dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to be in your presence, gazing upon the infinite beauties of the lord seeking you lord pleasure in you in your temple that would be the one thing that would that's the game changer And so part of what we ask for today, Lord, is um, would you also just, as a fulfillment of your promise, would you just eliminate, would you, would you get out of the way anything and everything inside of us, outside of us, that would, would be an obstacle or a hindrance to us wanting that, seeking that, and having that? whether it's some sin or some pursuit of some lesser pleasure, if it's, if it's some fear of man deal, or if it's some uh, you know, unhealthy desire for people's approval, or, or, or it's just whatever it is, it's got us stuck. We just would ask, oh God, that you'd give us the game changer, the breakthrough. Everywhere we see in your word when the Spirit comes, when the Spirit comes upon your people, things happen. There's breakthroughs. There's progress. There's... There's a demonstration that you rule and you reign. You are who you say you are. And Lord, we trust that right now that that asking for you to fill us and drench us with the Holy Spirit, we're not just asking for a feeling. We're asking for you. We're asking for you, more of you. And so, Lord, um, we trust that by fixing the gaze of our minds, the thing that we're thinking about, and kind of hurting all of our thoughts into one spot and fixing them on the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and all of our emotions, feelings, all conflicted, mixed up, every which direction, and just bringing that to bear upon You, Lord Jesus. Um, that perhaps you would see fit to bless us with the great gift. We know that Pentecost was a once in redemptive history moment. But, um, but there are people all over this world who, where there is no church, where there is no witness, and for all intents and purposes, live in a pre-Pentecost existence. And we don't believe that you did this once for a certain group of people, and that's it. We're here hoping and trusting and believing that it's your promise that remains faithful today. That you, you will empower us And you will make us witnesses when the Spirit comes upon us. So fill us anew and afresh, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.